This morning is a very familiar passage and story that I want to touch on. It's the story of David and Goliath, and I know Pastor Seth preached on it a couple of weeks back, and I was talking to Brother Dan about it last week, actually, and just talking to Brother Dan, and it came up. <laughs> so I want to stick with it, because I think we all need to be reminded that Goliath must fall. Amen. And that's the title of my sermon, Goliath Must Fall. It's a common story, probably the most famous story, almost everybody, you don't have to be in church to know that story too. But I trust that you open your hearts and your minds and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your, in your heart and your mind as well. Now David, we know the story and we'll turn to the passage, but David was a young man, probably again, anyway, some people say 15 all the way through 19, anywhere uh, around that age, I guess, and Goliath, David is the young lad and Goliath is the giant, but as always, the irony and the lesson and the thing that we all haunt to is that David beats the Goliath, the giant, right? Yeah. David turned out to be more the giant, I always say, David was the giant, really, and Goliath was just the little kid. Our passage for today is from First Samuel chapter 17 that gives us the whole story but before we skip before we get to that passage I always like to point to and I think we should never skip over what I feel is the most crucial part what I feel again the most crucial part in David's life that is I think is very applicable to us today too just a chapter over before uh, chapter 17, so 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7. We talk about the call and the anointing of David. The prophet Samuel goes to the house of Jesse. Jesse has all his kids, his older kids, parade in front of Samuel. But Samuel is just saying, hey, do you have one more? And of course, David comes up. We know the story there, but the passage in the verse, in verse 7, it says, Do not consider, this is God telling Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things God, I mean, uh, people, sorry. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at outward experiences, but the Lord looks at the heart. People look at outward experiences. People look at the outside, but God looks at the heart. And like I said, this verse, this verse rings true. And I think it's needed right now because now more than ever before, I think in the history of humanity, people are nowadays more obsessed with the external appearances. And I, I know it's driven by reality TV and social media and all these influencers. And uh, I, I don't think there's a doubt or debate about that, really. Because what does the world look at? The outside. 
Now more than ever before, you're looking at this one and you find so many stories. You Google it, you'll find a hundred stories. This one woman who posted pictures of her living the high life and, you know, pictures and you see how they do stuff, you know, and she's jet-setting lifestyle and until her landlord took pictures of her apartment in which she lived and it was a total mess. There's another lady and her boyfriend, like I said, Google it sometime and you can find it. But another lady and her boyfriend are putting pictures about all the travels and all these exotic places. And of course, they make a lot of money because they have so many followers. Still, the guy taking the pictures didn't get his cut or he didn't think he got the fair cut and then exposed all of them. Everything was set up in their backyard. I mean, you see a lot of that right now. I promise you, just like I said, you look and you'll find it. But the truth is this, what do we get impressed by? I'm not saying we, we're good Christians. But what does the world get impressed by? The outside, appearances. It doesn't matter what reality really is. You just have to pretend and post it and all this fun stuff and everybody's going to be impressed and applaud you. And like I said, it's a, it's a good lesson for us to not get caught up. We as the church need to I think it's a challenge for us too and a reminder that not be impressed by what it looks like on the outside. Don't focus on the outside. Get all impressed by what we see on the outside. Don't get caught up in that so that we excuse what's on the inside. And I say excuse because sometimes even when you know the reality, you're still like, oh, whatever. And I think the story of David and Goliath is the same thing. Because you see Goliath, again, outwardly impressive. You see David, he probably stinks of sheep. But we know God was impressed with David. So it's a good reminder, again, don't get caught up with the outward appearances. And don't play that game because you can fool us all, but you can never fool God. Because God looks at the heart, church, and that's what matters. Going on to this chapter 17, the two main characters, of course, in the story are David and Goliath, but you have a few other characters around. Verse 1, just keep your finger in the chapter. We'll go through several. <clears throat> now, Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched the camp at Ephes, the meme, between Soko and Azekah. Okay. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up the battle lines to meet the Philistines. Again, the valley, again, more or less the idea we all have. If you have pictures, you know, there's a, it's more like a canyon. There's flat ground in the middle with the river flowing in the middle normally. And then there are two sides. And, of course, we have the picture. You have the Israelites on one side and you have uh, the, the Philistines on the other end. But then by verse 4, here comes the champion named Goliath who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Okay? Translate that. Most people agree it's probably nine feet, nine inches or somewhere around there. Now that's big, nine feet, nine inches. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. Now that's around, what, 175 to 200 pounds of weight just on him. So he's got this bronze helmet, he's got this heavy armor, and verse 6 he says, On his legs he wore bronze greaves, 
what they wear on their shins. And a bronze javelin was slung on his back. That's his extra weapon. Verse 7, the spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. And its iron point, okay, weighed 600 shekels. That's around, they say, 20 to 25 pounds. Just the, the head of the spear. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Okay, and the shield was like six feet tall. He had someone holding it in front of him. And so you get the picture. This real, you know, monster standing in front of you. And he's armed to the teeth, of course, has this armor and everything else. And so, simple. It's quite intimidating to look at. Verse 8, Goliath stirred and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose, here's the challenge, choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Quite common in those days. Again, it was, you know, just one person represent one side and the other from the other side. These champions would get you know, get together, and so basically a one-on-one battle, and whoever won the one-on-one, you know, the play on the words right there, but whoever won that one-on-one battle, it simply meant that army won. The guy who lost, that army lost, and that's how they settled it, really, but I don't know if, I really don't know if that really happened in reality, because even though David beats Goliath, there's, the Philistines just don't come and are subjective and they run. You still have to fight after that. So I don't know in reality how that worked. I was just thinking about that. I don't know. Anyway, verse 10. The Philistine, <laughs> the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. A Goliath didn't just... Uh, do this once, it says, right? But verse 16, it says, for 40 days, verse 16, for 40 days, the Philistine Goliath came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Always point to this fact that we all do face giants in our lives and they don't always come wearing, you know, this heavy armor. They're not outwardly intimidating But when they do come and they do come, they don't just come once and walk away. No, they come like this persistently, morning and night and day after day. And what they do is relentlessly, for lack of another word, torment you. Again, whether it be a person, a situation or something that challenges you, but it challenges you day and night. And what it does is make you feel vulnerable, you know, weak. You feel too weak to stand up. Here's the thing about giants we face. They, they prey on our weaknesses, our fears, and our worry. And like I say, like trials, you know, that we talk about. The giants are custom made for each one of us. Now on the other side, you have David. He's a shepherd, but he has also, just in the previous chapter we know, he's also been anointed to be the next king. Of Israel. And we know the story. He's out there watching sheep in the country. Not sure. You know. I, I'm almost guaranteed. I, I can say. He probably never heard about Goliath. You know. And 
didn't know much about the war because evidence says his own dad didn't know what was happening. That's why he sends him in the first place, right? And so it's all likelihood that he didn't know much about what was happening there. He had, he knew they were at war but didn't know the details. He had three brothers, as the, you know, the, and Jesse, his father, was beginning to get a little worried and anxious about his older boys and so what he does, I mean, and the fight in general. And so he calls David from the field, gives him some snacks, if you want to call it that, a care package for his son and also a little gift for the commander of uh, their commander, just, I guess, a sign of appreciation and gratitude. Uh, and the main idea is, hey, go up there, find out how they're doing, come back and get me some, give me some news and hopefully good news. You got to remember, David is not going out there to fight. He's just going running an errand, correct? Running out there. You can imagine, the day started like, you know, there is, I'm sure there is some kind of ex uh, excitement and anticipation but, by David, but there's no way that he anticipated Goliath. There's no way he anticipated or planned for a Goliath. Like I said, I doubt he really knew much about him. Same principle here too. Quite often we encounter Goliath in our lives when we don't anticipate it. It is unexpected. You know, you don't know. When you least expect it, they show up. Anyway, here's David and probably, again, we don't know how old he is, but he leaves the sheep and, uh, with the other shepherds or servants that he has there. And then he heads to the battlefront, uh, the formation. And you know, uh, just brief, I mean, you have the battlefront, but then behind you have all your store and everything else, right? Your reserves at there. And so he leaves the stuff with the keeper of the supplies and he runs to the lines to find his brothers. And then let's jump to verse 23. Verse 23, as he was talking with them, that's his brothers, uh, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his line and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now David had never seen this guy before. He's talking to his brothers and the people around him. Goliath comes shouting, yelling, and everybody around him just disappears. You know, it's like, as you're saying, it's like the rapture, you know, and he's been left behind. But I don't know. They're all gone. Basically fled is the idea of fled. They're not there. They're not standing there. But David's there and he is not afraid. And actually, if you read, he's, he's mad. He's kind of upset. Verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? He's mad. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? There was no question in David's mind who he was or who he belonged to. There was no question in his mind at all. It's just putting it into today's terms. He's like, man, that guy's not supposed to be talking like that about our God. That's it. And why is everyone running? Why are you guys hiding? The truth is, and the principle here is that people's eyes were focused on the giant... 
that they forgot how much bigger their God was. Same thing with us sometimes. We focus on the giant that we forget how much bigger our God really is. And when we focus on the giant, it fills our hearts with fear. It's just, it's pretty simple. Instead of standing on God and God's word and saying our God is greater, our God is stronger, our God is what higher than any other. You run around because you're not looking at our God who is stronger. You're looking at a giant that looks intimidating. Again, fear is not always a bad thing. Caution is not always a bad thing. But when fear paralyzes you and causes you to run and hide, that's when it's wrong. Come back to that. But again, we know in the story, this is the 40th time that Goliath, this is day 40, that Goliath is coming out and taunting them. But this is the first time that David hears him. And I always say the 41st time that Goliath yelled, that was the last thing he really yelled at, right? That was the last day. Anyway, you see David's response. But you notice, you have to notice that King Saul has a plan too. His plan wasn't to fight. His plan was an incentive. You know, you go fight and I'll see what I'll give you. Again, always pause to think about the fact that Saul was their champion. It says he was bigger than all of them, right? Almost to the head above everybody else. But why is he not willing to face a giant? Because he really has no relationship with God at all. He really has no real walk with God at all at this time. So what he has is an incentive plan. He has a plan. He'll give them money. He'll give them his daughter in marriage. And of course, no more taxes for that guy for the rest of his life and his family for the rest of the life. Somehow, I feel and I think safe to assume David was not motivated by the stuff the king had to offer. What motivated David to take on Goliath was his passion for God. His passion for God. It didn't matter to David, like I said, how big Goliath was. He was not impressed. He wasn't intimidated by the armor Goliath wore or this big, huge weapon that he carried. I really don't care who you are, what you dress like, what you drive. It really doesn't matter how many great victories you have. How dare you speak about our God in this way? It was a passion for God. One point that always jumps out to me when I read this story, I mean, lots of points, but one that always gets me. The people of Israel had learned to live with Goliath. They had learned to live with Goliath again. They had learned to live with Goliath's defiance, if you want to call it that. And the rather unfortunate truth is this, that many people who call them the, themselves Christians have learned to live with Goliath. We just kind of think in our minds, he's on that side, I'm on this side, and we'll be okay. We've learned to live with Goliaths, but the truth is this. The Bible has never called us to tolerate Goliaths. We have to take 
them on because Goliaths don't disappear. It's just a false sense of security. You're fooling yourselves by thinking that one of these days he's going to go away. That's not going to happen. Just think about it right now. What would have happened if David hadn't stood up to fight Goliath? We wouldn't have a good story, but besides that, what would have happened if David hadn't stood up to fight Goliath? I don't know exactly, but again, like I said, I can imagine Goliath and the Philistines weren't just going to stay there the whole time and just keep yelling. The enemy is not just going to stand there and wait. He's going to come and advance and come and take. Because he has one plan to steal, to kill, and to destroy what God is doing in your life. He's not going to stand there and just wait for you. The truth is this. We are not called to live with or tolerate Goliath. We are supposed to go fight them. Unless we fight Goliath, we are never going to live what it means a victorious, to be a victorious Christian. You're never going to understand what it means to live a victorious Christian life. And I have met a lot of people who believe if I avoid it long enough, it's going to disappear. It never works out that way, church. It never works out that way. David is upset with what Goliath has to say and David has things to say himself. And when he starts talking, we know what happens. When you take a stand, sometimes, very often, the resistance you get are from the people closest to you. Verse 28, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Eliab is the one we talked about earlier in 16 verse 7. When Samuel saw Eliab, he says, Surely this is the one that God has anointed. But God tells Samuel, No, it's not him. And then right in front of Eliab, David is anointed. I don't think Eliab forgot that. I think he's still mad with David and here actually you see he's mad with him but he's also trying to humiliate him, kind of put him in his place. You know, you, you think you're anointed and all that but what happened to those few sheep you are in charge of? I know how conceited and you are and how wicked your heart is. It's always interesting, you know. It was Eliab who had the problem, not David. It was he who was wicked and conceited, but he's able to project who he was on someone else. Anyway, David kind of ignores his question, doesn't really try to defend himself or even answer what Eliab asks. But verse 29, he says, what have I done? Verse 29, what have I done? Can't I even speak? And then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. What's the matter? Talking about Goliath right there. You always, you got to be impressed with David because he knew how to pick his battles. His brother wasn't the real battle. Goliath was the real enemy. He wasn't going to waste his time fighting his own brothers when the real enemy, Goliath, was standing there in defiance. 
That's another lesson for us. How often do we waste our time and efforts fighting the small things while that only serves to distract us from what God has called us to do. We spend so much time and the point is this, we get inwardly focused and we can easily get sucked into and spend so much time and energy focusing on the inside stuff that we forget what God has called us to, to preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. We need to be really careful, church, because it's easy to get inward focus and totally forget why we are the church. David, again, is focused on the main issue there. And of course, as he talks, King Saul's attention is, I mean, King Saul hears about it, and then he calls David. David says to Saul in verse 32, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Verse 33, Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Again, same principle we talked about earlier. What man saw was outward appearances. You can't go fight him. You're a kid. That guy's been a warrior since he was a kid. Again, you see Saul, like the rest of the men, focused on the problem and how big the problem is rather than looking beyond and focusing on God who's bigger than the problem. But David has got the right perspective there. Yeah, he may be 10 feet tall, but that's really nothing. Verse 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David had the right perspective. David had the right perspective. So, like someone said, many times in our lives we forget what we ought to remember and we remember what we ought to forget. We remember our defeats, we remember our failures, but we forget the victories the Lord has given us. I mean, the devil and people too are quick to remind us of our defeats, are quick to remind us of how we fail. And when we focus on that, we forget about the goodness and the faithfulness of God in the past. I mean, the devil really loves to mess with us and, you know, your mind up. Because he'll show you all your weaknesses rather than get you to focus. He wants you to focus on that rather than focus on what God and God's doing in your life. And what God has already done in your life. It's that feeling of, he, he's always, here's the thing. The devil tries to make you feel that you are not good enough. But that's the truth. You will never be good enough because it's all God. What he says is the truth. Yes, tell him I'll never be good enough. Yet in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. Church, don't focus on trying to be good enough. Because when you try and focus on being good enough for God, you will let yourself down. You'll get discouraged and everything else. 
Focus on what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. The Holy Spirit that's working on you and depend on God. You will never be good enough, like I said. That's why we need a Savior. That's why God sent His Son, because we would never find a way back. Amen. So focus on God who is more than enough. David has the right perspective. The only reason I can beat this giant is because God has proved himself faithful in the past. It wasn't complicated for David. God has come through for me in the past. I know he will come through for me again. It wasn't complicated for David. Like I shared this on Wednesday night in the story of Hagar. If he promises it, he will do it. But here's the catch. He will do it his way and in his time. That's the difference. It wasn't anyway. We'll get to that again. But it wasn't complicated for David. If he took care of me in the past, he will take care of me again. It's so easy to forget that church. I don't know. Um, I mean, I've been guilty of that too. It's easy to get consumed with what's happening right now that you forget what God has already done for you. It's easy to do that. I mean, even I've done that, like I said, even in our own lives this past year, especially in the beginning of this year, we went through something that was easily among the hardest things we've ever been through. And for a moment, I was like, God, why? But sure enough, as soon as those feelings come in, I learn to remember what God has done for me. I don't feel adequate, but I know He fulfills His promises in my life. When I don't feel good enough, He tells me I am good enough. Because you're focusing on God and what He has done. And there have been time and time again, He has come through for my life. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, it was God, nobody else. It had to be God because I could not have done it. He gives you grace. He gives us grace. Pours out grace into our lives. Faithful. Faithful to the end. Church, he, and yes, he often uses people, okay? You can, oh, it was someone who helped me telling you God worked in that person's life and that person was obedient to what God was telling him to do and that's how he came through for you. God's not always, let me say this, I said this to someone this week, God is not always going to feed you manna. We all want the supernatural every single time. God will use people to fulfill what you need. The key is he will fulfill. Because if he promises it, he will fulfill it. Church, when facing another impossible situation and a Goliath stands before us and he's yelling and screaming and, you know, fear and anxiety is a normal response, but only for a moment because our security is in God. That's why the story is written. So we'll remember the next time we face a giant, we know our God is bigger than any giant that comes my way. I mean, think about David. He stands there totally, totally unintimidated. God protected me from the bear. God protected me from the lion. And God is going to help me defeat this Philistine. Of course, Saul's answer is, go and let God be with you. I always chuckle when I read that story. 
that part. Go and let God be with you. Because like many people in the church today, you know, he has no real relationship with God, but he's known, he's been around church long enough to say the right things, you know. Use the right terminology. Oh, God bless you. That's essentially what it is. And this is on a side note because I challenged someone this past week. Hear me out here. How many times have we used this Christian terminology? Okay, let me set it up for a minute. Sorry. Humor me. Someone is going through a hard time and we use the phrase, Oh, I will be praying for you, but we never really pray for them. I wish I could do an anonymous survey. I almost called Raven to set it up. You know, where you can text and you have a survey. I've been guilty of that. But I'm learning more and more that I write it down. Because if I say I'm going to pray, I need to write it down. Otherwise, with my everything going on in my life, I forget. Christian cliches. Anyway, that was a side note. Oh, I will pray for you. Anyway. Keep going. Saul, verse 38, puts his own armor around, I mean, on David, dresses him up in his own armor and gave him his sword. And then it says in verse 39, and David tried to walk. I mean, you got to realize the humor in this part because I always think about Amara and Anjali. One of the things they do once in a while is wear either Heather's shoes or my shoes, and then they try and run, and invariably they crash. <laughs> and that's exactly what's happening. David is like, I can't do this, right? David tells him, hey, you get the picture. But David says, I can't do it. He can't wear Saul's armor to fight the battle. Again, the principle is simple. We can't fight a battle in someone else's clothes or with someone else's weapons. You can't fight a battle in someone else's clothes or weapons. The truth is this. You cannot live a successful, meaningful Christian life based on the experience someone else has had with Christ and based on someone else's spirituality. You have got to experience Christ on your own. and You have to have a real relationship with Him. Now, I got to admit, as a younger kid, I was like, oh, my mom is praying for me. I know that I don't have to pray. I did that. I've done that a couple of times. But as you grow up, you're supposed to understand that's not how it works. I can't live my life based on my mother's spirituality. I can't live my life based on anyone else's walk with the Lord. I can live my life based on my experience with God. And that's why we need to experience God every single day of our lives through His Word, through fellowship with people, through situations. When you are in communion with God, you will experience Him. That's when you are really equipped to fight the battle. Yes, that's it. David experienced it when he faced the lion and when he faced the bear. If you want to really overcome Goliath in your life, you have got to experience and grow in your own personal relationship with God. Amen. With your own personal relationship with God. And so David says, I can't wear all this. I'm not used to it. So he takes it off and picks up his staff and his sling and heads out to meet Goliath. He goes down to the stream and we know he picks up five stones and, you know, heads out to meet Goliath. 
And I can see in my mind, like I said, both sides kind of, what is going on? Like a 100, 120 pound young kid and taking a nine foot nine inch giant. If they were taking bets at that time, you know where they would be bet, where they put their money on. But we know how God operates. When we are weak, when we are finite and we feel inadequate, he works on our behalf. It's when we are empty that he fills us up, not the other way around. If we are too full of ourselves, God can never work in our lives because we think we've got it all together. Once again, the people saw the outward appearances. Got this great mighty warrior Goliath on one side and you have a shepherd boy. One has a spear and a javelin. The other one has a stick and a sling. Let me point one more thing out. This kind of impressed me more this time as I was rereading this passage. David knew what the challenge was. David knew what the challenge was. The challenge was bigger than him. He knew he needed God's help. But David was also prepared for battle. He went into the fight. He put the stone in the sling, swung it around, and then he let it, par- let it fly. He did his part, and God came through for him. That just jumped out to me more this time, that he did his part. And then God came through for him. David knew his ability, but he was totally dependent on God's power. I was thinking, and as I was thinking about that, the man with the talents, the guy with the talents, think about the multiplication came. Okay, it didn't come because of what he did, but he exercised his faith. You want to hide. God has given us all talents, but we want to hide and keep it. Nothing's going to happen if you hide it and keep it to yourself. David knew his ability, but he was totally dependent on God's power. Church, time and time and time again, you see this in the Bible. Besides salvation, you have to do your part. You have to step up or step out. You have to prepare, but you have to also exercise your faith, and then you will see God come through for you. Abraham had to step out in faith and walk to a foreign land before he saw the blessings of God. Israel had to walk around the walls of Jericho before the walls came down. Gideon's 300 still had to fight the fight, the Midianites. They had to fill those jars full of water before it turned into wine. I mean, the lepers, we talked about a couple of Sundays, they had to walk on their way to show themselves to the priest when the miracle happened. Time and time again, you see this church You have to be faithful in doing your part and that God comes through for you. Think about it. Because God could have easily sent a bolt of lightning and just obliterated Goliath right there. How dare you talk to me about me? He could have done that, right? But it makes me feel like God is waiting for someone like a David to step up in faith. And then God honored that faith. We know the end of the story and how God works because God honors faith. God honors faith. Again, it's 
like what we talked about on Wednesday. God is omniscient. He knows the beginning and the end. He knows what you are going through. And when you cry out to God, God answers prayer. But please remember, He's going to do it His way and in His time. Too often people doubt God and question their faith and question the goodness of God. And now the catchphrase, deconstruct their faith. Simply because they don't like the answer they get. They don't like the way he answered their prayer. They don't like when he answers their prayer. Very often, like I said, we want a God who will give us anything and everything when we ask for it. But that wouldn't really make him God. God honors faith, church. God honors faith. But we've got to have this understanding of what real faith is about. God honors faith when you take a stand and do your part. Yes, he comes through. When we fall down, he still picks us up. That's the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. Yes. But don't forget the principle. You got to do your part. Faith is not just believing something or wanting something and just holding on to it till you get it. I mean, that is faith, but not really what God is looking for. Faith and real faith is trusting God, knowing who He is, knowing what He's doing, trusting that He's going to do it when He's going to do it is in His hands. That's what we need faith for. Real faith is trusting God, even when you don't understand what's happening around you. Now we talked about Hagar. She had no fault of hers at all that she was in that mess. But it's learning to trust God. That he knows what he is doing and trusting God that when you pray, he has an answer. Even though it may not be the answer you want, you still trust him. Faith is trusting God that he is working more in you than in the situation around you. There may be a big Goliath with armor, a spear, and a shield. All you have is a slingshot and a stick. You may feel inadequate. You may feel small. But that's when you need faith to step out and face a giant. And God honors that faith. God honors that faith. David takes one stone, sets it in a sling, and like I said, lets it fly. The stone finds its mark. Goliath falls face down. To David, it was pretty simple. God took care of me in the past. He will take care of me again. And that's exactly what happens. You come against me with the sword and the spear and the javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Then he says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand on all those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. Pretty amazing. God honors his faith. David did his part, but there was no doubt in his mind. Let me say this slowly. David did his part, but there was no doubt in his mind that the battle belonged to God. You can try and do battle on your own, but it's like uh, those kids trying to walk in my shoes. They will fall down flat. 
even though we've been church, we've been in church and grown up in church, and sometimes when we face a situation, we try and work it out on our own. Yes, you have the ability, but you need the power, and that power comes from the Holy Spirit alone. It's not, let me put it this way, it wasn't David's ability alone that saw him through Goliath. It was David's ability plus his faith plus God's power that saw the victory. When we put our faith in him, church, God will honor that faith. But we have to trust in him because they that trust in the Lord will not be put to shame. Will not be pushed Put the same. All he asks for time and time again is to trust him. No matter how big the giant, no matter how big the problem, our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Our God is higher than any other. Amen. That's who our faith needs to be in. That's who we look up to, church. Our God. Our God. Again, just a reminder. The battle belongs to the Lord. So don't, let me say this, and I say this with humility. Don't sit on your couch and whine or complain about it. Just keep doing and be faithful to what God has already called you to do. And then you will see the victory of God in his time. Don't quit. Again, that's his grace. Even when we fall, he picks us up. But we've got to keep going. Even when we mess up, he takes broken pieces and makes something beautiful in his time. Quit trying to do it on your own because you will wear yourself down. Put your trust in him. David beat Goliath with a slingshot and a stick, but he depended on God for the strength, for the power, for the victory. Amen. Yes, he had the talent, but he relied on God's power. Church is the same thing for us. God can and will take care of us no matter how big Goliath is. As I wrap this up real quick, why do we have a story like this in the Bible? To remind us, yeah, that there will be giants in our life. We will all face giants. It reminds us that there will always also be people who will stand in the way of you from pursuing God's call. They'll question God's call. They'll make you doubt God's call. David's father didn't believe him. Didn't think he was good enough to go for war. Prepared enough to go for war. His brothers despised him because they thought he was arrogant. The people just gossiped about him. Probably made fun of him. Saul discouraged him because all he was thinking about was David was not skilled enough. There will always be people who will try and get in the way of you pursuing what God has called you to do. Second thing, giants, you can't avoid giants. You can't ignore them. And yes, giants are intimidating. You have to fight your own fight. In the valley, he was alone. And sometimes it, you will feel alone. But remember, in the valley, he is with you. That's what Psalm 23 says. God will give you the strength, but you have got to stand up and fight. You can't run away from the fight. No one else can fight your fight. Trusting God 
gives you confidence. When you spend time on your knees in prayer, it is amazing the confidence it gives you to face Goliath. When you spend time in God's presence, the confidence it gives you to take on Goliath is amazing because your faith is built on the times when you spend it in God's presence. The time is spent in God's presence. Trusting God gives you confidence. Winning is an amazing experience, but make sure to give God the glory at the end of it all. Make sure to give God glory at the end of it all. Yes, I have the ability, but I need His power because Him, church, He alone gives us the power. He alone gives us the power because the battle belongs to the Lord. Bow your heads with me at this time. Church, I know this was a, a familiar story. But just a couple of reminders for each and every one of us. We are not called to tolerate Goliaths. We are not called to ignore Goliaths. We are called to stand up and fight. Some of us have been in situations, if you want to say Goliaths, and for a while we've been, they've been yelling at us, beating us down and intimidating us, scaring us, making us feel not good enough to take on this giant. Let me encourage you today. A story like David reminds us that when we stand up and fight, we do it in faith and God will honor that faith. Don't stop fighting. It's not the time to give up. Nothing is going to change if you don't step up in faith. And that's the call, church. Step up in faith. He will give us the strength we need to tear down those walls, to break those chains, to overcome the situation we are in. He will give us the strength we need. We don't have to get it right every time, church. I say this time and time again, but what he's looking for is an earnest desire, a relationship with him. And when we are faithful in that relationship with him, he will come through. 